And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. To, to take off and go over there when our next door neighbor contacted us and said, hey, there's a snake that's coiled up underneath your car. And so we, um, <laughs> I went outside to check it out and I found out he was no longer coiled underneath the car. He was actually in the side yard and I looked pretty hard and I found out that it was a cottonmouth moccasin and uh, you know they only get about four foot long, but they're they're they're, they're fat. They're 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 pretty round. And um, this guy's just in the grass, and I'm thinking, well, I got to do away with him. So I went inside and I got a pistol. I'm keeping my distance. I don't want to get too close. And I fire once, and I fire twice, and it's not firing. It's misfiring. So I take the cartridge out and I'm looking and I'm messing with it and I'm trying again. Still doesn't work. I'm starting to sweat now. <laughs> so then the snake crawls back underneath the car. And I thought, well, this is a no-brainer. I'm just going to run over him. <laughs> so he's, he's now on the concrete. So uh, Kathy gets out and sp she's my spotter and I'm backing up and going forward and backing up and I'm thinking surely I'm, I I'm crushing this, this critter and, and every time the car would move over this way, he would move. <laughs> and when I moved that way, he would move. And she said, Terrell, you haven't, you haven't gotten him. I thought, what am I going to do? So I went and looked for my long-handled long shovel and I loaned it out. I couldn't find my long-handled shovel. The only shovel I could find was a little three-foot shovel. How many of you know with a cottonmouth moccasin, you don't want to get that close to it? But I had to do something. I mean, time's going by, and I'm out there, and now I'm really perspiring. And so I jabbed at that moccasin, and I didn't know how mean and aggressive they can be. Boy, he started coming at me, so I'm dancing around like this. <laughs> And I got, I got my little shovel, and, and I'm dancing around, I'm going like this, and, you know, and I'm not hitting that. Nobody, I never knew how hard, how, how tough the hide of a moccasin is. I mean, that was a, a tough hide. And so I just kept jabbing, and I kept jabbing, and I kept jabbing. I jabbed so hard that I jammed my shoulder. I mean, I, mean, I had the adrenaline was flowing, but I finally got that thing. Here, here he is. It seemed impossible, but I got him. And then I put him in a box to do away with him. I think, do we have that, the, the box? Uh... Oh, we don't have that pick. Okay. It was a little closer for you to see him. I never could get that head fully off, but I'm going to tell you what. He's dead today. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I say all that to say that sometimes, sometimes, folks, there are things that look like they're impossible in our lives, but with God, nothing is impossible. If you can believe that with God, nothing is impossible, the impossible can happen in your life. That's what Jesus said to the, the man who had brought his little boy to the disciples and said, he has these seizures and sometimes he falls into the water and sometimes he falls into the fire and Look at what he said to Jesus in Mark 9, 22. 
He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion and help us. I, I, I realize that for so many years, this is where I missed it. I used to face problems and I'd say, God, if you can do something about it, would you please do it? But look at Jesus' response in Mark 9, 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, he, he, he said, the question isn't, can I do anything? The question is, what can you believe me to do in your life? And too often we look at situations and we just say, well, that's impossible. We look at conditions and we say, well, there's just no way. It's impossible. But with God, there's no such thing as the impossible. Amen? Amen. Now, in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1, and this is the New King James Version that I'm reading from, it says, in those days, Hezekiah, this is King Hezekiah of Judah, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. You know, that's not what you're looking for when the pastor comes and gives you a prophetic word, you're not looking for him to say, set your house in order. You're going to die. You're not going to live. I mean, you're looking for something that's going to edify you, right? That could get you discouraged. Verse 2, then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to the Lord. You know, there have been a lot of pastors, a lot of evangelists, a lot of ministers that have taken this text and they preached a famous message that's called turning your face to the wall. It's taken here right from verse two. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Why would he turn his face to the wall? You know, sometimes, dear ones, people don't have the answers to our problems. Sometimes, our friends and family, they love us, but they don't have the answer to our problems. Sometimes, sometimes your doctor is not going to have the answer to your problems. Sometimes your lawyer, your CPA, CPA they're not going to have the answers to your problems. So Hezekiah, here in this verse, he turns his face to the wall. He first turns his face to God and to God alone. A number of years ago, Kathy and I were facing a financial problem. And we'd gotten a lot of different advice from different people, and we were just as confused as we could be. And we realized that people don't always have the answers to your problems. But it's important that when you don't know what to do, that you know where to go. We turned our face to the wall. I, I took three days off work. And we said, we're going to take three days and we're just going to spend this time with God and we're going to hear from headquarters heaven. And we begin to fast and pray. Now, now I, I don't know that, 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 that fasting would cause God to speak to us any quicker, but what fasting does, it doesn't change God, it changes me. Fasting deals with my flesh and deals with those things inside my flesh that keep me from hearing the voice of the Holy Ghost. And I stayed in our bedroom. Thank God there was a bath and a shower in there for those three days. But I stayed in our bedroom those three days. And Kathy had to make food for the kids and get them off to school and that kind of thing. But I stayed in there and I just read my Bible and prayed. And Kathy joined me when she could. And it was on the third day as I was praying. I was kind of prayed out. I was just quiet before the Lord. 
and I just saw this little mental image. Some, some might call it a vision, but that sounds a little esoteric. But, but it was, I, I just saw a picture down in my heart. I didn't see it with my head, but I saw it in my heart, and I saw me doing something, and it was the answer to this problem that they were facing. Folks, I, I'm just telling you, the Holy Ghost doesn't have, you, you don't pull any surprises on him. He's a 24-7 Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And there's not a single problem that you come up against that God doesn't already have an answer for. And as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will speak to your heart. He'll show you exactly what you're supposed to do. Well, this says Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to the Lord. You know, Moses is a man that turned his face to the wall. <laughs> I think about Moses being up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. He's been fasting, but he's been in the presence of God. He gets the Ten Commandments. He's got them on two tablets of stone. He's so excited to take them down to the camp and to show them to Aaron and to show them to the children of Israel. But when he gets down there, Joshua, his servant, says, I think I hear music, Moses. And Moses said, that's right, we are listening to music. And they got down there, and they found that the children of Israel were having an orgy. The Bible says that, they, that the children of Israel were just doing things they shouldn't have done. And Moses has, has made two golden calves for them. And he says, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. And it so hurt Moses, it so frustrated Moses that he threw those tablets down and they disintegrated. And he took that golden calf and he burned it in the fire and then he mixed it up in the water and he made the children of Israel drink the water. And then Moses went back up on Mount Sinai. Dear ones, the Bible says that Moses had an interaction with God because God had said, Moses, let me kill all them. Let me just do away. These children of Israel, they're just too rebellious. I'll make a new nation out of you and your wife. Moses said, God, if you're going to blot their name out of your book, you just go ahead and blot my name too. Moses turned his face to the wall. He turned his face to the wall. He turned his face to God. He forgot about Aaron's lack of leadership. He forgot about the rebellion of the people. He forgot about the hurt of his heart. And he just sought God. Dear ones, everybody look at me. Sometimes if you're going to receive a miracle, if you're going to see the impossible take place in your life, you're going to have to turn away from your hurts. You're going to have to turn away from your self-pity. You're going to have to turn away from those that have hurt you. You're going to have to turn away from the things you don't understand. You're going to have to turn away from the things that could cause your heart to grow bitter and just turn to God and turn to God alone. And God showed him exactly what to do. I, Dr. Lillian Yeomans was a minister back in the early 1900s, and she told the story about a well-known pastor named Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker was pastoring in London, and Dr. Parker decided that he wanted to visit the United States, and so he sailed from England, from Liverpool actually, over to New York City. And for several days, he just sat on the deck and he looked out at the vast expanse of the Atlantic Ocean. And he just seemed to be in prayer. He didn't talk to a person. He just seemed to be in prayer. There were a number of people on the cruise who knew who he was and they wanted to talk to him. And finally, one young man got up enough courage and he said, Dr. Parker, he said, uh, 
tell me, what do you see when you look out there? And Dr. Parker said, nothing but God. Nothing but God. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, King David, he wasn't king yet. In just a few days he would be, but David ran into a major problem because he and his mighty men come back to Ziklag. You'll remember they found it burned. They found that the Amalekites had taken their wives and their children captive. The Bible says that David and his men wept until there wasn't any more strength in there to weep. And then the men spoke of stoning David, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. I want to submit to you that David turned his face to the wall Look at this. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. One translation says, but David made himself strong in the Lord. How did he do that? Well, the Bible didn't tell us exactly how he did it. I just want to submit to you that David, I believe, wrote Psalms 119, verse 11, where he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed thereto according to thy word. I think from the time that David was a little shaver, I think from the time he was a little boy, that he was hiding the word of God in his heart. Now, David didn't have the Bible that you and I have. Sometimes, I know I'm guilty. I look at King David through my New Testament eyes and, and, and I wonder how he did some of the things he did. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart, you know, but the problem was that every time he'd take out a, a Goliath, there was a Bathsheba around the corner. I mean, that was a bit of a problem. But you gotta remember, David's great, great, great granddaddy was born a slave in Egypt. David's great, great granddaddy was born in the wilderness wanderings. His parents were following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You got to remember that David's great, great grandmother was Rahab, the prostitute who was from Jericho, who hid the Hebrew spies. You got to remember that David's great grandmother, her name was Ruth who had been so kind to her mother-in-law, Naomi. You got to remember that when King Saul became king of Israel, that Israel wasn't even in the Iron Age. They were still in the Brass Age because the Philistines would not let them have blacksmiths. The Philistines would not allow them to make weapons out of iron. But it wasn't until David got there that he brought them into the Iron Age. I'm, I'm just saying to you, David didn't have the same Bible that you and I have. He didn't even have a complete Old Testament. All he had was the first five books of the Bible. All David had was the book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I believe that he had, since from the time he was a little boy, I think he'd been reading those stories, especially in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus and Leviticus. I believe he read over there in Deuteronomy 32, where it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is our rock. Maybe as his men spoke of stoning him, maybe as they've cried, there's no more strength in them left to cry. They're wondering about their wives and kids and they're looking around and everything they own is in ashes. Maybe David remembered, hey, my God, he's my rock. Maybe David remembered Genesis chapter 49 where Jacob is blessing his children in Genesis chapter 49 and he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is our shepherd. Maybe David got some inspiration from the words of Jacob and he sat down himself and wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Maybe David began to remember the stories of how God supplied with manna and quail, the way he led the children of Israel with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Maybe he remembered how his granddaddy told him how they came up against the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh were behind them and, and they didn't know what they were going to do, but God sent a strong east wind and it parted the waters of the Red Sea and they passed over on dry ground. I don't know exactly what David was thinking. I think he was thinking about the Word of God. Dear ones, if you want to encourage yourself, if you want to live a life of courage, if you want to live a life of, 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 of being of good courage and strengthened and filled with hope, dear ones, you need to meditate on the Word of God instead of meditating on the problems. Don't you ever think about your future as a future where God's not there. Don't you ever for a minute don't you ever for a minute think that maybe in the future God's not going to take care of you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yea, though we may walk through that valley of the shadow of death, we're not going to be afraid. Amen. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Oh, man, I've had people write me ugly letters. I've had people write me ugly emails. I've had people get on social media and attack me. And there have been so many times I'll take Psalms 23 before God in prayer. I say, Lord, it says you prepare a table before us in the presence of those that are treating us like enemies. God, I thank you that you're preparing a table before me. I thank you, Lord God, that you're anointing my head with oil. I thank you, Lord God, that my cup runs over. I thank you, Lord, that you're at work to willing to do of your good pleasure. Paul wrote to the Corinthians who were having divisions in the church, and he says, when you come to the table of the Lord, you're not loving each other. You're not waiting on each other. You're not considering each other. And he went on, and just before teaching about that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says these words. He says, there must needs be divisions among you that those who are accepted by God may be manifest. There must needs be divisions among you. I'm just telling you, dear ones, when peace breaks down between you and another member of the body of Christ, when peace breaks down between you and somebody else, just make sure it's not your fault. And make sure that you keep on doing the right thing. And make sure that you don't allow a heart of bitterness and, and, and resentment to get inside your heart. You know, I, I've shared with you before how Roy Hicks Sr., the president of the Foursquare denomination, a large full gospel denomination on the West Coast. Roy Hicks Sr. shared with me, he says, son, if you want to be successful in ministry, don't ever, ever allow bitterness to get in your heart. He says, bitterness has destroyed more ministers than anything I know. David turned his face to the wall. <laughs> and you know what happened? He said, guys, I've just been in the presence of the Lord, and we're going to go after these Amalekites, and we're going to conquer all. And that's exactly what they did. They went after the Amalekites. They got every one of their wives, every one of their children, all of their possessions, plus a whole lot more loot than they had lost. They got it all back. And dear ones, the word of the Lord for you today is God is telling you, don't give in to despair. Don't give in to dismay, because no matter what's been stolen from you, God has a way for you to recover all and even more. Hallelujah. 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 I think about the Apostle Paul over here in Acts, the 27th chapter. Acts chapter 27. He's a, a prisoner 
on board a ship that's headed for Rome. Acts chapter, here we go, you've got it, verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Folks, he's a prisoner on board this ship. He tried to reason with the centurion who was in charge of him. He tried to reason with the ship's captain. He says, guys, I don't feel good about this. I'm afraid. Here we are sailing. It's the fall of the year, and we're sailing on the Mediterranean Ocean, on the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, I don't feel good about this, this whole voyage. But they weren't willing to listen to him. And so they took off. Well, they ran into a hurricane. They ran into a typhoon for two whole weeks. Man, you know how, how devastating Hurricane Michael was, especially for the Bahamas. You know how devastating the hurricane was around here last year. They've been in this hurricane for two whole weeks. They don't know what to do. Verse 20, now when neither sun nor moon, excuse me, ne neither, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and he says, men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Verse 22, I love this. And now I urge you to take heart for there's not going to be any loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now watch this, verse 23. For there stood by me this night of the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Let's stop right there. What was Paul doing during these two weeks, everybody aboard thought they were going to die. Everybody aboard thought they were going to drown. But Paul says, be of good cheer. There stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I serve and to whom I belong. You say, well, man, if I had an angel appear to me, I guess I could be strong too. Dear ones, let me tell you something. You don't want to be in a situation where you've got to have an angel talk to you. Most of us, we, we, we pray to have strong faith to overcome difficulties. We just don't want to have any difficulties to have to overcome. I think Paul was turning his face to the wall. I think he was pressing into God. I think he was getting to the place, God, whether I live or whether I die, it's all for you. It's going to be good. I trust you. You told me that I was going to bear witness of you in Rome. So I believe I'm headed to Rome. But Lord, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe I'm not altogether right. But I'm turning my face to the wall. Again, look at verse 22. He says, I now urge you to take heart. In other words, to take some courage. There's not going to be any loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Dear ones, look at me this morning. The word of the Lord for you is to take some heart, to get some courage. Be encouraged. Why did Florida State University have the lowest attendance at Doak Campbell Stadium since 1983 yesterday because a lot of fans have gotten discouraged. They have lost heart. And let's be honest, it was a whole lot easier for Bobby Bowden to coach before social media came on the scene. It was a whole lot easier before you got everybody's opinion coming at you 24-7 but they lost heart. 
Anybody here enjoying the ACC network? A couple of you are? Some of you say, I got Comcast, so I can't watch it. Well, I have to pray for Comcast. <laughs> One of the commentators on the ACC network is E.J. Manuel. And some of you will remember that E.J. Manuel used to be a quarterback here, and then he went on and played for five or six years in the NFL. Well, E.J. in 2011 was the Florida State quarterback, and we were playing Notre Dame in the Champ Sports Bowl. And Notre Dame in the first two quarters, in the first half, they were winning that game and they were beating us. But something happened at halftime. Florida State made some halftime adjustments. They came out and E.J. Manuel put the team on his back and with his running, with his scrambling, and with his passing, E.J. Manuel won the game and defeated Notre Dame. Now here's the amazing thing about it. Some of you will remember that the next day he had to have his leg x-rayed and they discovered that he had a bone broken in his leg. He had played that entire second half with a broken bone. He said he knew it hurt like fire. He knew it hurt him really, really bad. But he says, I just had to take some courage. Dear ones, I'm telling you, if you want to see the impossible in your life, you've got to take some courage and not grumble and mumble, not complain, but take some courage and learn to turn your face to the wall and say, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know a lot of things, and there's pain and there's difficulty, but Lord, I'm not going to acknowledge that pain and difficulty right now, but right now I'm acknowledging you, and if in all my ways I acknowledge you, I thank you that you are directing my steps in Jesus' name. He says, I urge you, verse 22, to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Dear ones, when you turn your face to the wall, you just need to go ahead and just confess before God, before the angels, and before the demonic host. Say, I belong to God. I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm serving God. I'm serving Jesus Christ, the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. Verse 24 saying, do not be afraid, Paul. Dear ones, you've got to turn away from fear. You've got to turn away from from anxiety. I'm turning away from it. He says, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Verse 25, therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he told me. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 38 and kind of wrap this up. Isaiah 38, verse 2 then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to the Lord, verse 3, and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and I've done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Let's, let's just, a couple of takeaways from verse 3. He says, first of all, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I walk before you in truth. 
I, I walked before you in truth. He says, my daddy, see his daddy was King Ahaz. King Ahaz was one of the most evil kings that Judah ever had. Go back and study his life. King Ahaz was all about, he took the temple of God and he put all these pagan idols in the temple. Not only that, but he sacrificed King Hezekiah's brothers and sisters. His daddy had sacrificed them to Moloch, a foreign god, putting them in the fire. I mean, that's pretty evil. So along here comes Hezekiah, Hezekiah is one of the most righteous kings Judah ever had. He says, listen, I've tried to do things right. I've worked for national revival in Judah. He says, I removed all the idols from the temple. I've, I, I've tried to turn the people from the worship of the Baals to the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at the second thing he says here. He says, I, I've walked before you in truth. I, I, I believe... I believe that means he walked according to God's word. And then he says, I've walked before you with a loyal heart. The King James Version says, I've walked before you with a perfect heart. Dear ones, that does not mean, doesn't mean that he's saying, God, I'm perfect. Because he was far from perfect, just like you and I are far from perfect. But he says, my heart has been right. My heart has been loyal before you. You know, the older I get, the more I look back at the past. And I see decisions that I made. I, I look at decisions I've made with personnel. I look at decisions I've made uh, that had to do with vision and direction. I've looked at decisions I've made with finances even. And I'm thinking, Terrell, how dumb can you get and still breathe? How many of you know hindsight's always 20-20? And, and, I, and, I've, and I've, sometimes I take that to God. I say, God, I, it sure seemed like the right decision to make at the moment. It sure seemed like I was doing the, the right thing. But now as I look back, it, it wasn't the right decision to make. I read about a, another minister that was doing that one day. You know, the Bible says that when we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I certainly have prayed many times, God, would you forgive me for the mistakes I've made? Would you forgive me for any sins I've committed? God, would you forgive me for any iniquity in me? And, and the Bible says in the New Testament that God takes those sins and he erases them. He blots them out. He does away with them. In the Old Testament, the Bible says God takes our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west. And another scripture, it says, I think this is in Micah, it says he puts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. Well, I heard this preacher say one day he was thinking about some of the decisions he had made as a young pastor and he realized they hadn't been the best decisions and said he was just beating himself up over them and he said he was actually gone fishing in the sea of forgetfulness. Have you ever done that? Come on. Come on, getting quiet in here. Do you ever stop and think, boy, look what I did when I was younger. Look how I did this. Look how I did that. Dear ones, let me tell you something. The devil wants you to feel condemned. The devil is the accuser of the, in fact, that's one of the names for devil. It means accuser. He's the accuser, according to Revelation chapter 12, he's the accuser of the brethren. And see, the devil wants to accuse you to yourself and accuse others 
to you. The devil wants you to feel bad about yourself. But Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. There is no, con the devil wants to fill you with condemnation. The devil wants you to think back on the, on, on the past. He wants you to get to the place that you're no good to God, that you're no good to other people, that you're no good to yourself. But he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Now this, amen, that's true. Now this pastor said, said as I was thinking about these things, he says, I started reflecting over on Samuel, over in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You remember Samuel was sent by God to, to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as the next king. He didn't know which one of them. He just knew one of the sons of Jesse was going to be king. And you'll recall he came, and he, he came into Jesse's house and he saw Eliab, the oldest boy, and he was big and he was strong and he was handsome and he was viral and he looked like he could be a, a great champion, a great warrior, and a great leader. And Samuel said in his heart, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But then can we look over there at 1 Samuel chapter 16? Do we have that slide? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Maybe you don't have it. Here it is. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Somebody said that we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their actions because we can't see somebody else's heart. You can't, you don't know the motivation of somebody else's heart. And some people go through life, they just suspect the worst out of everybody because they got the worst working in them. But God looks at our heart. Now, I don't think Hezekiah had been perfect, but look at what he says here in verse 3. He says, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. He says, I've tried to do things right. Everybody look at me. God's not looking for you to be perfect. He does want you to have as a goal to be more like Jesus every single day of your life. And if you'll make that your goal, and if you'll stay in God's Word and stay filled with God's Holy Spirit, He'll help you be more like Jesus. And there's a theological word for that. It's called sanctification. You'll grow in Christ's likeness. But He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for a heart where you want to please Him, where you want to do the right thing, even if you made a mistake. And if you have, put it under the blood in Jesus' name. Ask him to forgive you and he'll, he'll do that. He'll set you free. And if he's forgiven you, don't you dredge it back up. Don't you go fishing in that sea of forgetfulness. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 3. He says, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. And I've done what is good in your sight. And then the Bible says that Hezekiah wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Everybody look at this preacher this morning. I'm a man, I, I have wept many tears of self-pity. But I'll tell you one of the things I've learned, praying and weeping tears of self-pity doesn't get me anywhere with God. I prayed a lot of prayers and I've cried tears of frustration. Lord, I'm so frustrated about this and I'm so frustrated about that. But hear me. 
And we all get frustrated sometimes. Tears of frustration won't get you anywhere with God. Dear ones, it's tears of faith. It te- it's tears of hope. It's tears of love. Man, you can experience some tremendous losses in life. And it can just leave you shaken. But you can also turn your face to the wall. And you can say, Lord, there's pain. But God, I'm going to move towards you in faith. I don't understand everything, but I'm turning my face to the wall. And God, I'm believing you to turn this situation around and make it work together for our good. Lord, I'm believing you to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. God, I'm believing you to show yourself faithful. God, I'm believing you to work on my behalf. God, I'm believing you to allow your Holy Spirit to come forth in power with the words of wisdom and words of knowledge and discerning of spirits and the gift of faith and the working of miracles, the gifts of healings, tongues and interpretation of tongues. Holy Spirit, come up in my life with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and meekness and temperance against such which there is no law. I believe that when he wept bitterly, he was appealing to the mercy of God. Appealing to the mercy of God. Story is told about a 11-year-old girl who came up to came up to General Napoleon Bonaparte, grabbed him by his boots, and began weeping. He said, "Young girl, what's wrong?" She says, "Oh, Mr. General, please have mercy on my daddy." By this time, another officer had lifted her up. So she could look at the great general in the eye. She said, oh, please have mercy on my daddy. And he says, well, who's your father? And she told him, and he says, well, your father's a traitor. He's worthy. He, he deserves death. She said, sir, I, I know he's a traitor. I know he deserves death, but please don't give him justice. Give him mercy. Folks, thank God that mercy is available for you and me. Thank God that God doesn't give us justice. He gives us mercy. Hezekiah wept bitterly, verse 4, and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this City. Dear ones, when you don't know what to do, it's so important that we know where to go. (laughs) When Hezekiah had been a younger man, one time the Assyrians came against him. They had so many soldiers that they were like, they were like, they filled the horizon. They couldn't count them all. The king went to Isaiah and said, Isaiah, what are we going to do? And Isaiah and him had a prayer meeting. And Isaiah gave him a prophetic word, says it's going to work out. How many of you know that he turned his face to the wall then? And you'll remember what happened. The Bible says that night, an angel of the Lord came along and he killed 185,000 of the Assyrians and Jerusalem was spared. The little boy's daddy came to Jesus, said, Lord, if you can do anything, would, would you please... Would you please heal my son? And Jesus says, the question is not, can I do anything? The question is, what can you believe 
me to do. All things are possible to him that believes. I'm going to ask you everybody to stand. Stand to your feet. I ask that nobody move right now. This is a very holy moment, a very sacred moment. Nobody talking, nobody moving. Stand to your feet and just close your eyes. Stand to your feet and close your eyes. And I just ask all over this room, if you find yourself in the need of a miracle, if you find yourself in the need of God to do what only God can do, if you find yourself in, the, in, in a time of needing to turn your face to the wall, I'm going to ask you just to slip out from where you're standing and come stand right down here and let us minister to you. You say, Pastor, I'm in need of a miracle this morning. I'm in need to see God do what only God can do. I need God to make a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. Pastor, today I'm turning my face to the wall. Come on, there's more of you that need to respond to this. I know by the Spirit of God that there are more that need to respond. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's a few more of you need to respond to this. Come on, while, 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 while this altar call is being given. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just believe you. God, we're believing you to make a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. God, we thank you that you're a way maker. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, respond. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The question is not, what can God do for you? The question is not, as the man said, Jesus, if you can do anything, please do it. Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believes. I believe David encouraged himself as he thought back on the promises of God. He encouraged himself as he thought back on the miracles of God. I want you to do that right now. I just want you to start thinking about the miracles of God. Maybe, maybe you've not seen them in your life, but maybe you have. Start thinking about the miracles of God. Start thinking about the miracles that we read about in Scripture. Start thinking about how, how God multiplied loaves and fishes. Start thinking about how Jesus raised a widow of Nain's son from the dead. Come on, start thinking about, start thinking about how Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, how he healed the woman who had the issue of blood. Come on, just start reflecting on the goodness of God. Start encouraging your heart right now. Just start encouraging your heart. Start moving in faith toward God. Lord, I'm believing for the impossible. God, I'm believing for you to do what no man can do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee, 
We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.